Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. When the time finally arrives for each and every one of us to be judged, what will that be like? You're listening to the Revelation series with Dr. Rocky Ramsey, and today we're in chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. So how will unbelievers be judged, and how will it be different from the judgment of believers? Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. In other words, there was no place you could hide, and even though you wanted to. And I saw the dead, great, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And, and books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, plural, according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, and every one of them, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades, Hades being the present hell, were thrown into the lake of fire, the final hell. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this passage tells us about the judgment of the lost. In your outline, it's called the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. They, they appear before, they see a great white throne. I have four things under that. Number one, this judgment is for unbelievers. You see in this passage that this is the final judgment of the lost. It's the judgment of those whose names are not written in the book of life. Number two, the books, plural, contain the deeds of men. I put a little statement in your outline. I've said it before. Whenever the Bible speaks of people going to hell, it always mentions what people have done or not not done. It refers to their deeds. Always talks about that. I'm going to give you some examples. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, we'll begin in verse 41. I actually read these verses on Sunday. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for, to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So according to Jesus, these people are going to hell because they did not do what they should have done. See, sin is not just doing what you ought not do. It's not doing what you ought to do. One's a sin of commission. I commit a sin. I do something I shouldn't have done. The other's a sin of omission. I fail to do what I should have done. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. We're talking about the fact that the, the lost are judged for their deeds. And they're judged out of these books that contain their deeds. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, every time it says do not be deceived, what it means is we're deceived. We're deceived. We think whatever he's about to say, we think there's a loophole. It might apply to some people, but sure doesn't apply to us. No. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice that all of these words are plural. Now, some of them don't have an S, like covetous, but, it, but they're plural words, effeminate. They're, those are all plural words. These things are not something these people once did. It is how they lived and who they were. Galatians chapter 5, turn there. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, <laughs> carousing, and things like these. So he's, what he's telling us is this is not an exhaustive list. And things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those, watch this, who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, he's not talking about somebody who did this once or for some season of their life, but changed. He's talking about somebody who never changed. This is what they practiced. This is who they were. It's what they did. Now turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21 and verse 8. But for the cowardly, interesting that it makes the list, and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So these verses, none of these verses say that anyone who has committed any of these sins cannot go to heaven. If that were the case, we'd all be headed for hell, wouldn't we? Because we've all done some of these, if, you know, if maybe the, what we might consider the minor ones, like we envied or something like that. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, Revelation 21, 8 say that this is who those people were. Not, not people who have told some lies, but people who were liars. Not people who have committed immorality, but people, rather, who were immoral people. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says that these people practice these sins. If you remember in 1 John chapter 3 or chapter 2, it talks about those who are righteous practice righteousness. Those who are sinners lost practice, sinner, practice sinning. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, we read 9 and 10. It goes on to say this, And such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In other words, these people were changed. They no longer did what they once did. They no longer were what they once were. Does that make sense? 
So it's not that anybody who's committed any of these sins can't go to heaven. It's people who continue in these sins prove that they're not going to heaven. So you have these, these lists here. Now, some people, yeah, just throw this in, you know, a lot of people uh, in our day have taken the word grace, they've expanded it to mean basically it doesn't matter what we do, we're forgiven because of what Christ did for us, and they think that's what grace means. It does not mean that. Jesus never used the word grace. Paul gave us the word grace. Two of these lists are Paul's. So whatever grace means, it doesn't mean you can do these things and go to heaven. He guarantees the one who told us if you keep doing these things, you will not go to heaven. So grace doesn't, doesn't undo that. Whenever the Bible talks about people going to hell, it tells, talks about what they did or did not do. Why? I put it in your outline. What we do is the true indicator of who we are. We are not who we think we are. We are not who we say we are. We are who we demonstrate that we are by the things we do. These books in heaven contain the deeds of men. Jot this verse down, Proverbs 15, three. There it says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Never forget that God always knows. He knows when you get it right. If you just give a cup of cold water in, in the name of Christ, I'll reward you. And he knows anytime we get it wrong. People think that somehow they can, they can sin and God won't find out about it. No, the all-knowing God knows. So the books contain the deeds of the lost. Now, number three, there's another book in this. The book of life, the book, the singular, the book of life, contains the name of Christ followers. It contains the name of Christ followers. I have two things under that. Number one, Notice that their names have been in the book of life from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. Doesn't say it in our passage. It says it in two other verses in Revelation. Revelation 13, 8 and Revelation 17, 8 both say of people who follow the beast and will go to hell that their names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now make a note of that mentally, it's really important. We're gonna come back and talk about it. Their names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. What that tells us is that the names of those who are believers have been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. You see it? The lost, their, theirs have not been written from the foundation of the world, but the saved have been. Now, that'll make more sense here in a minute. The second thing we see under that is their names have not been erased from the book. Christ followers' names have not been erased from the book. So look at your outline at Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So the believer's name is in the book and it doesn't get erased from the book. So it doesn't go in the book sometime, it's in the book and it never gets erased. There are three other places in scriptures where it talks about names getting erased or blotted out of God's book. Turn with me and read these passages. Psalm 69, verse 28. 
Psalm 69, verse 28. And here David is praying against his enemies. I really like this. There's one place where the psalmist prays, go God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. Have you ever wanted to pray a prayer like that? If you'll be honest, you'll pray some of those prayers. And, and, and not only are they okay, God put them in Scripture so we'd see them. We have prayer is, if, if prayer's not honest, it's not prayer. We can't come to God and pretend we're something we're not and pretend that we feel some way we don't. So the best thing with God is just be honest. But here, David prays against his enemies. He says, may they be blotted out of the book of life and may they not be recorded with the righteous. Turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, verse 32. We'll look at 32 and 33. Moses had been on the mountain. He received the Ten Commandments. When he came back down, you remember they had built a golden calf. It's funny, Aaron says, I just took all the gold and threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, he discovers the people made the golden calf. And then, if you remember, he threw the, threw the tablets down and broke them. And then he returns to the mountain to God and he asks God to forgive them. And here's what he says, Exodus 32, 32 to 33. He says, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. See how he intercedes for them? God doesn't buy it. The Lord says to Moses in verse 33, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So you see, these people are in the book, but they're gonna get blotted out of the book. Don't miss that. Turn to, uh, well, turn to don't, don't turn there. I'll just tell you what it says. In Deuteronomy 9, 14, Moses is retelling this story. So it's another passage where he's talking about this same event. And we find out there that when he was on the mountain, if you remember, God knew they had built the calf and told Moses. So when Moses went down, he knew what was going on. And God said to Moses, let me alone. This is Deuteronomy 9, 14. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name. In this case, it says, from under heaven, and I'll make you a nation mightier and greater than they. Again, we won't turn there, but Deuteronomy 29, 20 again talks about God blotting out someone's name from under heaven. It's interesting as you read the story of Moses and God, there's times when God wants to kill all the people and Moses is trying to talk him out of it. And there's times when Moses wants to kill them all and God's talking him out of it. So it's pretty, pretty humorous. Now, so what we learn from this about this book and this blotting out? Well, we've got three options. Option number one. The first option is you might, uh, the first option might be that our names are not written in the book of life until we've safely made it to heaven. And when I die as a believer, my name goes in. This has two problems though. One, if it's not written in until you die, then how could it ever be erased or blotted out? Two, what about the verses that say that the names have been there in that book from the foundation of the world? So option number one, the name goes in at our death, obviously doesn't hold any water. It falls apart. Here's the second option. Second option is that our names are written in when we become Christians. So when somebody comes across, their name gets put in the Lamb's book of life. But if you believe that, then blotting out a name means that a Christian can be lost again. If my name just goes in when I become a Christian and it can be blotted out, then I can become a Christian and be lost again. 
Well, if you know your Bible, you know that doesn't really hold up either. If he gets lost again, can he get saved again? Third, fourth, hundredth time? There are some groups that believe that. Is, is a person lost again any time he commits a sin from one of the lists we just read? So you're going along doing great. You're Billy Graham. And then uh, you get to be, you're, 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 you're 80 years old and you envy somebody. Is he lost? Is his name blotted out? He got to do something to get back in? If you told a lie right before you died, the first one you've told in 50 years, would you be lost again and go to hell? Doesn't make much sense, does it? Would that be a clear example of thinking that we're saved by our works, which the Bible clearly says we're not? So option two also breaks down. Well, luckily there's a third option. Here it is. It says that the names of those who go to heaven have been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And it says two things about those who miss heaven. One is their names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And two, their names have been erased or blotted out from the book. So it's apparent that their names were written in the book, but were erased out of the book. Therefore, they did not remain in the book. Did you get that? If their names were in the book, and then they got blotted out of the book, then even though their names were in the book at the foundation of the world, they had not remained in the book from the foundation of the world because they got blotted out. Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. Does this make sense? So it means this, from the foundation of the world, which is before you were born, which was before man was created, the all-knowing eternal God perfectly knew every detail of time and space history, even before it began. There's verses in the Old Testament that says, you know uh, the beginning from the, or the end from the beginning. Why? Because he's eternal? Because he's all-knowing. He knew who would be before anyone even was. Did you get that? When God hadn't created the earth, he knew every person who would ever live. He knew who would be before anyone ever was. He knew who would be his before any of us ever were. So that's why it talks about in the foreknowledge of God, God knew us. Before God even created planet Earth, he knew all of time and space history and beyond. So he knew that he was gonna make me someday, he was gonna save me someday, he knew what I would do in my life, he knows how I'm gonna die. God knew everything we would ever think, say, and do before we even existed. Gives whole new meaning to God so loved the world, doesn't it? God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5 that he knew him and had a plan for Jeremiah's life even before Jeremiah physically existed. So that's why I say we all began as a dream in God's heart. Why? Because there wasn't a biological thing that happened between a man and a woman, and there, therefore there's a child that God picks up the story then. 
No, the story starts with God and a child. And God puts that child in the womb of a woman and uses a man and woman to do it. Does this make sense? John 3.16 tells us that God loves the world, everyone he created. 1 Timothy 2.1 tells us that his desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God doesn't wish for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. 1 John 2.2 says that Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the world. Romans 6.10, 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15, and 1 Peter 3.8 all tell us that Jesus died for all. And in the Greek, the word all means everyone. So put all this together, and here's what you come up with. God desires for all men to be saved. He voted, if you will, for you to be saved. How did he do that? He put your name in the book. Before you were even born, your name was in the book. He's voted for you to be saved. The enemy of your soul votes for you not to be saved. Guess who gets to cast the deciding vote? Each of us. We say yes to God or we say no. How do we know that God's voted for your salvation? Because he put your name in his book even before you began as a dream in his heart, before you were even a fetus. If you choose to give your life back to the Lord and follow Christ, your name remains in the book of life where it has been from the foundation of the world. You tracking with me? And if, if and when you cross the line, you reject your last opportunity to say yes to God, then your name gets erased or blotted out of the book of life. And I need to tell you, that isn't just at death. Everybody's got X number of chances. And when your X is up, you're done. That's when a person goes reprobate. At that point, there's no way you could convince them of Jesus. They're past it. They're never gonna get it again. Their opportunity is gone. They're blotted out. So the book, the book of life, contains the names of Christ followers. Now, number four, still talking about what we learn in this passage, Great White Throne. At death, unbelievers are separated from God, all that he has and all that he is. They're separated from God, all that he has, all that he is. Look in your outline at the verse we read a moment ago, Matthew 25, 41. Jesus said to those who did not do for him what they should have done, who committed the sins of omission, depart from me, accursed ones, don't miss this, into the eternal fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never meant for anyone. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. You say, but what about when, before Jesus came? That's what all the sacrifices were. Even back to uh, uh, the Garden of Eden where the scarlet thread begins, God slays an animal. There's a substitutionary death that covers his sin and shame and gives him clothes. Notice it wasn't, the hell wasn't intended for people. God doesn't want anybody to go there. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to go there. I put this in your outline. God never sends anyone to hell. Hell is where lost people get what they thought they wanted, which was for God to leave them alone. Now, tonight's message is a big one. What I'm talking about right now is huge. 
Because if you talk to people about the Lord, they're going to say, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? The answer is, well, he never has. A loving God sent his son to hell so you wouldn't have to go there. But a loving God who's not going to violate your will will allow you to go to hell if you reject him. Heaven is where every good thing is because every good thing comes from God who is good. Hell is where God isn't. If God isn't there, there, then there's nothing good there. Why? Because everything good comes from God. Everything beautiful comes from God. Everything desirable comes from God. Hell is the absence of all that is good. It's the absence of light, so it's dark. It's the absence of comfort, so it's fire. It's agonies, says in the Lazarus Rich Man story. Uh, Hell is the absence of righteousness. It's the absence of love. It's the absence of beauty. It's the absence of relationships. People are not going to go to hell and have a big party. You know, I'd rather uh, laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. No, the rich man in hell, he never mentions anybody. All he can think of is he doesn't want his brothers to have to come to this horrible place. There'll be no laughter in hell. There'll be no joy in hell. There'll be no pleasure in hell. You understand that the devil can't create pleasure. Everything, everything the devil gets you to see and what he does is he takes some, something that God, uh, you know, like, like sex, let's just use that for the easiest example. Uh, what he does is he takes something good that God has made and he perverts it. And now something that was right has become wrong. Something that was good has become bad. He can't invent pleasure. There'll be no pleasure there. There'll be no fun there. At death, unbelievers are separated from God, all that he has and all that he is. Now, this is hard for us to swallow, but listen closely. I believe in the end, this is exactly how we'll all think. In the end, everyone gets what he deserves and ends up where he should be. In the end, everybody gets what he deserves and everybody ends up where he should be. Now, some of you are wrestling with the deserves thing. He said, well, we don't deserve to be saved. On one case, we don't, but we do because we've trusted Christ and given our lives to him. We're falling. Have we earned it? No. But in that sense of using that word, we have. But here's the deal. How many of you think God is up in heaven fretting over the people who've gone to hell? You think he's got a poor self-image because he's failed? Of course not. And everybody who ends up in hell should have and belongs there. Even if it's one of our mates, even if it's one of our children, grandchildren, parents. Join us next time for part two of this message as Dr. Rocky Ramsey speaks about the judgment seat of Christ, how we are saved, whether or not we're punished for our sin, and also join us to find out if we're rewarded for our works. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CoryptonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Coryton Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.